Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. I wanted to share that. Uh, as she mentioned a couple weeks ago, we had a service where it kind of got interrupted. Uh, it was the day we celebrated the end of our three-week fast, and um, I was going to talk about that, and we just sort of, the spirit was moving a different direction. I did get to preach a little bit, but I didn't get to preach the rest of that sermon until last week. But we did have uh, several people uh, come to the altar, come to the front of the church to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, to be, uh, receive uh, prayer for healing. Uh, and I love it uh, when, when the Spirit of God manifests himself that way. But there were... Uh, a handful of questions that have come up since then, and I mentioned this last week, people have questions, you know, I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or I came up and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I have questions about that. Uh, I have speci- and there were s- uh, at least a couple who had specific questions about uh, what, where does tongues uh, fit into that equation? What is it, what's the connection between receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues? Uh, and so that's what I want to talk to you about today. It's not, it's, it's, I'm a little bit torn because I did a multi-part series. It was nine or ten messages on the Holy Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, just, I don't know, a year and a half ago, where I was able to spend some time in depth on what it means. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? What is the difference between being baptized in the Holy Spirit and being born again, because there is a difference. And I don't, I'm not obviously going to spend 10 more weeks doing that. I'm not going to re-preach that series starting today. Okay? But I also can't really pack <clears throat> 10 weeks of truth into one message. But that's what I'm going to try to do. No, not really. It's, I, I'm going to try to answer those specific questions. And obviously, I can only highlight certain things. Uh, but I think they're important. Well, I don't think they're important. I know they're important. Uh, and I'm going to bring up just a little bit of uh, church history, not just the history of this church, but, church, our, but uh, ch- charismatic churches and the church at large. Uh, I'm going to try to move pretty fast. And if you have questions, uh, and if you're listening, and if this isn't old news to you, you probably you should have questions. Write them down. Uh, I encourage you to share those questions with me, uh, and preferably by email. And uh, also, you can also look up that series that I just referenced in our archives and listen to them. But I want to start here. In the book of John, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. He's he's preparing them for his death, after which he will rise from the dead, after which he will ascend into heaven. And these are those who are closest to him, and they are not excited about this news. He knows that his idea, uh, that his leaving them is going to be a hard pill for them to swallow. But here's what he says, and we're going to start in John chapter 14, verse 15. John 14, beginning in verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And then in John 16, you can just skip over a chapter or two, uh, John 16, beginning in verse 6, but because I've said these things, this is still Jesus, because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. This is a super important thing to remember. Uh, they couldn't imagine anything better than just to continue to be with Jesus, and therefore they couldn't imagine anything worse than Jesus leaving. And Jesus says, I know you're sad about this. I understand the relationship we have here. But I'm telling you, this is going to be even better. He gets more specific. Let's look first at the closing verses of Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 28, uh, and we will begin in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, look at the closing uh, verses of Mark's gospel. We will read uh, Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 20. Throwing a lot of scripture at you, and then we'll, then we'll, we got a couple more passages, and I'll say some things. What I say? Mark 16, uh, verse 14. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Yeah, amen. And so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working through them and confirming the word Amen. through the accompanying signs. But something was actually left out between verses 19 and 20 there. And Luke clears it up in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, it says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded, this is Jesus, post-resurrection, pre-ascension, right? He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. What's he talking about? He's talking about this other helper, the, the Holy Spirit that he promised them. Uh, verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, so, so far, 
Jesus says, look, men, I've about wrapped up my, uh, my earthly mission. I'm going back to the Father. I know you think it's bad news, but it's not. The Holy Spirit is coming. I'm commissioning you to preach the gospel, to go out and do the work that you did when you were with me. You've ministered alongside me. You know how to do this. You know what I'm calling you to do, but don't start it until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will need his power. You do need his power in order to do the things I've commanded you to do. So they tarry. They wait in Jerusalem. And on the day of Pentecost, about 10 days after the ascension, they re we read this. Now we're in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, speaking in other tongues simply means they were speaking languages that they themselves did not know in the natural. And the sound, this sound like the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and the commotion drew a crowd, and people from all over came and heard the disciples standing there speaking in these other languages. They were actually speaking of the mighty works of God. Then Peter turns to the crowd and preached. He preaches. And it's important to note that you know, when people say, well, what happened on the day of Pentecost is God was just getting the gospel out there as quickly as possible. You had people in, the, in town who spoke all these different languages. So God either did a miracle of their speaking or a miracle of their hearing and allowed them to hear the gospel preached in their own language. That's not what it says. They weren't preaching the gospel. They were simply praising God. They were declaring his mighty works together and people overheard it. They gathered. Then Peter turned and preached to all of them. And then when he preached in one language... Uh, then uh, several thousand were saved and baptized. But uh, what I want to talk about here uh, is what used to be some fairly familiar terms. And we'll see how much we get through this today. We may carry on some of this into next week. But I need you to understand something right off the bat. I don't know all your personal histories. I don't know where your Christian journey has taken you. So I don't know what kind of baggage, what kind of doctrinal baggage you bring to this or what you carried at one time. But please know this, when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when we talk about the evidence of speaking in tongues, we are not talking about something that was invented in the 70s. Okay, there was what's, known, what's now known as the charismatic renewal during the 70s and the 80s, maybe late 60s to, to 80s. Um, and that's when my family, along with several other families, some of whom are still here, uh, were first exposed to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it was just that. It was a renewal. It wasn't an invention. They were, we were returning to clear biblical, biblical teaching and experiences that at various times have manifested throughout church history and at other times have been abandoned. They've been ignored, uh, either because of illiteracy, corruption, ignorance, whatever. Uh, but this much is clear from the Word of God. When the Holy Spirit was given, when he came initially, there was an immediate manifestation of his presence, and the common experience at that moment was that they all began to speak in other tongues. Now, does it matter? Pretty much doesn't matter. If you talk to any Orthodox minister, they will not argue that that clearly is what happened on the day of Pentecost. 
Nobody's going to say, well, we as a church don't believe that really happened. You know, the church that I grew up in, and I'm not going to name it because it doesn't matter, and if I say, well, it was this denomination, that denomination, churches vary a lot even within denominations, okay? And there have been whole uh, churches within certain denominations that were uh, experiencing that same charismatic renewal. What I remember, and I don't remember much, uh, the, the preaching that, that I remember for the most part as a kid uh, was uh, more, they were more what you might call a homily. It wasn't an exposition of the scriptures. It was an encouraging message which might have a scriptural text at the root of it, but it wasn't line upon line teaching through the Bible. So except for maybe reading that Pentecost story on Pentecost Sunday, maybe every other year, I, I would have no idea what speaking in tongues was until people who started experiencing that charismatic renewal started asking questions about it, starting sharing their experiences, and then we started going to meetings outside the church where people were uh, experiencing this. And so then the question came, all right, well, where does our church really stand on that? And that's what's going to vary from church to church, often from denomination to denomination. And you've got some churches that are what we call continuists, others that are called cessationists. Continuous belief, the Holy Spirit, when he came, brought gifts that have never gone away because the Holy Spirit has never gone away. The cessationists believe, well, yes, the Holy Spirit is here, but the gifts went away and died out uh, with the last apostle or the last person who was alive during the apostolic age uh, because we no longer need, and they usually say the reason we no longer need the gifts of the Spirit is we now have the closed canon of the Bible. And they can make a logical case for that, in one, meaning on one hand it kind of makes sense. The problem is you can't make a scriptural case for that. There's no biblical evidence for the gifts ever going away or any reason for them biblically to go away. So we believe in the gifts, right? We call the, and, and this is where you it's kind of, how do you describe our church? What title do you put on it? What label? And it's tough because, and I've said this a dozen times, when you use phrases like Pentecostal, charismatic, word of faith, uh, full gospel, all those phrases mean different things to different people. And so you got to be careful about, well, we're this kind of church. And they're thinking, oh, that means they're affiliated with so-and-so because they're that kind of church. And I just don't like to get into that. I tell people we're a non-denominational charismatic church. Or if I'm talking to somebody who I know they're going to understand what I say, I might say we're a word of faith church. But what, what we are is a we are continuous. We do believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. I believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. And uh, I think it's super important to return to the clear biblical teaching of that experience. And it starts with recognizing that the experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is distinct from the experience of being born again. Uh, once again, I, I have not, across, uh, pretty much across the board doctrinally, uh, no, no, no matter what the, uh, the writer's background is, the theologian's background is, uh, they all agree that the, the disciples were saved, the followers of Christ were saved when he breathed on them the breath of life before he ascended. And then told them to wait in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit. So this was clearly a separate thing for them. You can read on in Acts when they encounter believers in Ephesus and in other places, and they ask them, what, 
have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They were, believed, they were believers. They were baptized, but they had not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they said, oh, we hadn't even heard there was such a thing. And then they write back, hey, we know they got the Holy Spirit because we heard them speaking in other tongues. This is where we get, here's the other phrase that pops up. This used to be the altar call at every charismatic service I went to for years. If you desire to be born again, if you desire to make Jesus Christ your Lord, we invite you to come up here and pray the prayer of salvation. If you desire to be baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, we'd like to pray for you too. These things were always connected to, I believe, a fault. Meaning, speaking in tongues and being filled with the Spirit meant the same thing. Now, all that really was supposed to mean, and maybe all it ever meant, maybe looking back, I'm reading too much into it, was, look, we believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is still a distinct experience for believers today. You can be born again and be filled with the Spirit five seconds later, or you can be born again and be filled with the Spirit five years later. But it's a distinct experience. And when it happened in the Bible, it was accompanied regularly, and certainly initially, by speaking in other tongues. Now, let me start by saying, or let, let me kind of get ahead of this by saying, I do believe speaking in tongues can still serve as evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I do not believe, absolutely do not believe, that if you haven't spoken in tongues, you can't possibly be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to tell you why. And we still have a lot to get through. This term, uh, full gospel, that was one of the earliest, uh, earliest ways to describe the kinds of services we began to attend. But for one thing, there was an organization called Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship, which organized a lot of meetings uh, that were outside of churches, that brought in speakers that weren't speaking or ministering in mainline churches. But this is where we would see a lot of these manifestations, healing lines and laying on of hands and, of course, tongues and stuff like that. Uh, but then the term full gospel began to be the, the main way you would describe a church like that. There weren't a lot of churches like that. Well, we are. What kind of Christian are you? I'm a full gospel Christian. And I remember... Uh, old, uh, she was an old woman the first time I heard her speak. A woman named Fuchsia Pickett. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of her. Uh, I had no idea who she was until, until I heard her speak, and she just kind of blew me away. But she said, we've got to be careful with that term, full gospel. She said, for one thing, do you know how insulting it sounds to people when you say, well, we're a full gospel church, because you're basically saying you're a partial gospel believer. When really what they believe, what they don't believe that we believe, it's just, it's, it's, it's not a matter of we are cutting that out. It's they have a different take on it, all right? They're missing something. She said, but the other problem is this. What we call the full gospel is nothing more than the remedy to the interruption in God's plan for mankind. When we talk about the God, what's the good news? What's the gospel? It's the good news. What's the good news? That Jesus died in our place, that he bore our sin, took our punishment, that he rose from the dead, and that he offers us new life. That's good news, right? 
But that's good news because we were in sin. Did God have a plan for man? Not that it took God by surprise, you understand. But is God's whole plan for man to redeem us from sin? Or did he create us for something before we sinned? And this was her whole contention is God has a dream for mankind that is beyond anything we could even imagine because we've still got to get through this complete work and consummation of our redemption first. Then when we are back, manifestly, completely redeemed, uh, manifestly, you know, new glorified bodies and everything and back in his presence, then God can begin to show us things. Here's what you were capable of. Here's what you were created for before sin, before you needed a redeemer. Okay, so anyway, that's, that's really chasing a rabbit right there. Full gospel, she was saying, should mean more than just, I speak in tongues. And it does. And uh, we certainly, I certainly got to the point where being filled with the Spirit meant little more than I speak in tongues. And the first time I really had my eyes opened to this, and I've told this story before, so bear with me. Uh, my senior year of high school, there was a girl I knew who was as full of the Spirit of God as anybody I knew. She's super bold, uh, genuine love for Christ, passion for souls, knew the Word of God way better than I did. Uh, but she was a Baptist. So she was raised in a cessationist environment. And uh, we used to talk a lot. I like this girl, okay? But I had to explain to her how she really wasn't on the same spiritual plane as, uh, as I was and my circle of friends because we had the full gospel. We were full of the Spirit of God. And there was a friend in our circle of friends, <laughs> super bold. I mean, even to the point of being ostentatious. He, was, he could be just a little bit much. But he was the guy that carried around a boombox blasting Christian music, always wore a T-shirt that said property of Jesus Christ or something like that, carried the biggest Bible you could, he'd get his hands on and with his school books, walking down the hall. Just, uh, but his, his Christianity was about that deep. It was 10 miles wide, man, but uh, he, he just sort of enjoyed being that, I'm not afraid to confess Jesus, but... Did he have a depth of knowledge of Jesus Christ and of the scriptures? No, he absolutely didn't. Not compared to this girl. Not compared to most believers, for that matter. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we loved him, but he was shallow. And everybody, I think if everybody would, who knew him would say, yeah, great guy, but not deep. Anyway, here I am having this. Uh, he just had some growing up to do. We all did. We were in high school for crying out loud, okay? Cut us, cut us some slack. I'm having a conversation with this girl explaining how, you know, how behind she was in the whole grand spiritual scheme of things. And, uh, and she said, and she names this guy, are you saying that he has more of the Spirit of God than I do? And as soon as she said that, I knew there's no way. <laughs> But my doctrine required that I answer, yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> she cried. Made her cry. That not because she believed that, but because she thought that I thought that. And deep down inside, I didn't really think that. But I had to be right doctrinally. You can't possibly have as much of the Spirit of God. You don't speak in tongues. And this guy does. 
And there's not one person in a hundred who would have said he was a more godly man than she was a godly woman. So, before I go any further, let's get this nailed down. Scripturally, speaking in tongues was the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not just on the day of Pentecost. We talked about that. They saw this later. They heard others speaking in tongues. So there is an evidentiary component to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus told them, Jesus told his disciples to wait for the Spirit because the Spirit would empower them to be witnesses. Tongues was the early sign, but it was never the end game. This is what happened when they first got filled with the Spirit. And they went on to be filled with the Spirit again or filled with the Spirit some more and do much greater things. It wasn't like, we got tongues, we've arrived. I believe tongues can still serve as evidence, but let's forge ahead with this first. Let's get into some really meaty scriptures the most thorough teaching on tongues post-Pentecost is found in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, especially 14. But you have to read 12 and 13 to get the right context. This is what I tell people when they come to me with questions about the Holy Spirit, the gifts, and tongues particularly. Uh, I tell them, if you have time, before, if you need an answer right now, I'll give it to you. But if you have time, go read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Read it several times. It's three chapters. It doesn't take that long. This is especially useful if where they're coming from, and this is a very common position, and I understand it. It's not an idiotic position. I just think it's, it's, a, it's an erroneous position where people say, well, you can't say everybody should speak in tongues because it clearly says not everybody speaks in tongues. That different people have different gifts. That's the way 1 Corinthians chapter 12 ends. Do all prophesy? Do all have gifts? Of, do all work miracles? Do all speak in tongues? And the, the, the expected answer is clearly no. So why do we preach to people, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so you can speak in tongues? Well, how do you know I'm supposed to speak in tongues? Maybe it's supposed to be something else. This is why reading all three of those chapters is so important. Because God does... Uh, he's, well, Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, endorses the gifts of the Spirit. He lists nine of them, including tongues and interpretation of tongues. And he emphasizes that the operation of the gifts in the assembly, in the church, that is for the edification of the whole church. Okay? We cannot compare ourselves, we can't rank ourselves, and we can't rank others in terms of our spirituality based on which gift we operate in or how often we, we operate in those gifts. It's not in the the spiritual maturity equation at all. And this is what Paul really seems to be hammering in this part of the letter. God distributes the gifts, and they are gifts. They are not something you acquire. They are not something you work up to. They are gifts from God to individual members of the body of Christ for the mutual benefit and, and edification of the whole body. For that reason, according to Paul, if you're going to utter something, if you're going to stand before the assembly and say something, it must benefit everybody. Therefore, prophecy in that context is superior to tongues. He's not saying, if you prophesy and this guy speaks in tongues, you're superior to him. He's saying, in the assembly, this is a better gift because everybody understands it. He never says speaking in tongues, even publicly, is wrong. He says, you can speak in tongues in the assembly, 
but not if somebody's not there to interpret. If you bring a tongue, you better bring the interpretation or somebody else better. Otherwise, skip the tongues and just prophesy. Now, we could go into that. Well, then why have tongues at all? And that's something we, it's in that other series. You can go check it out. And I might come back to it sometime, but not today. I'm going to move to, to what I really want to get to. Uh, Paul, well, kind of covered that. The important part for our purposes today is that in chapter 14, once he lists the gifts and says they're good and says they're for the body in chapter 12, in, verse, in chapter 13, he then goes on to say, so this is the great love chapter, and I love how it's right there in the middle of all this, because it's not like, here's chapter 12 about the gifts, here's chapter 14 about tongues and prophecy, right in the middle I'm going to put this love chapter in there to break it up. No, 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 the love chapter is there to show you how to do the gifts properly. Saying, no matter what it is you're doing, if you're not doing it out of love, if love isn't your prime motivator in that situation, then you're doing it wrong and it's not going to help anybody, including the gifts. So it's not about which gift is better. It's about which gift is better for the body at that time. It's not about which gift elevates you. It's about which gift edifies the body. What is your desire? What's your motive? So then in verse 14, he starts breaking it down. And this is where it gets exciting. And this is where it gets... It's, it really, I think, is clear as can be what Paul differentiates in verse, sorry, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is that there's a difference between the gift of the public utterance of tongues and the facility or ability to pray in tongues. These are two different things. Speaking in tongues, operating in the gifts of the Spirit as a public utterance, which needs to be interpreted, and needs to be one at a time, and praying in tongues, which can be private, okay, and doesn't require interpretation. What's the point in it? Well, let's read this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 4, Paul writes, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself but he who prophesies edifies the church. Stop there for a second. Is there anything wrong with building yourself up? No. No. But we can't just be about building ourselves up. And when we talk about edifying ourselves, we're not talking about promoting ourselves. We're talking about becoming stronger, becoming more solid, right? We do need to be built up. But he who prophesies edifies the church. This needs to be our end game. What can I do that's going to benefit you, benefit everybody? And look at this, verse 5. I wish you all spoke with tongues. Pretty good. But even more, that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now again, what's his context? He's talking to a church Believers in Corinth, this was a charismatic church. They were operating in the gifts, but it looks like they were just kind of going nuts, and everybody, the easiest thing to do was just to speak in tongues. And if somebody else spoke in tongues, well, you'd just go a little bit longer or a little bit louder, and everybody's doing the same thing all at once, basically saying, look at me, look how spiritual I am. And Paul says, no, you're doing it wrong. When you speak in a tongue and you're building yourself up, that's great. But in the church, do what's going to benefit somebody else. 
moving ahead in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 still, verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. And look at this. Look, this is, this is real. You need to highlight this, especially if it's something you're still wondering about. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. Is that good? It's good for your spirit to pray. But my understanding is unfruitful. What's he going to say next? Is he going to say, so since I don't understand it, I'm not going to waste time praying in the spirit anymore. I'll just use my mind. I'll just pray in a language I understand. No, what's he say? What's the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing in the spirit. I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? For indeed, you give thanks well but the other is not edified. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. <laughs> Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Wow-wee. Look, there's two things you'll, you'll want to notice among everything else he said here. One, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Two, I thank God I speak in tongues more than y'all. Anybody, and I've seen it, I've seen preachers and writers try to twist what Paul is saying here into Paul is, went on a diatribe against tongues. He really tried hard to correct the Corinthians because of all their tongue talk. And there's no way you can get that out of this when you read the whole thing in context. But he's talking about two different things here. Again, the operation of the gift of tongues for the edification of the church, that's public utterance, always always accompanied by interpretation, and the other, uh, a facility given by the Spirit to pray. One is as God wills in the assembly. The other one is an ability common to all Spirit-filled believers. What? For the purpose of praying and for the purpose of edifying ourselves. And, guess what? It can serve as evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's the difference between then and now, and this is why if you're scratching your head saying, Scott, it clearly was evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you think it is the evidence uh, today? And I'll tell you why. Here's the big difference. Here's what we have today that they didn't have on the day of Pentecost. We have the book of Acts. We have the Bible. We have the New Testament. We have the record of all of these conversations and experiences that happened. They experienced them. And yes, Jesus did say, these signs will follow those that believe. But when he said, wait here, tarry here in Jerusalem till you receive power to be my witnesses. And the Holy Spirit's come upon me, on you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. They were waiting, and the assumption is we'll know it when we get it. And when it happened, what happened? they began to speak in other tongues. This was something that happened that they, weren't, they didn't orchestrate. It just happened. Now, I've seen that happen with people before where it's just spontaneously bubbled out of somebody. But honestly, and if you're honest, this has probably been your experience too, what we're encouraged to do if we want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is come up here, be ready to speak it out. Because after all, even on the day of Pentecost, they spoke it. They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, and I'm for that. 
You understand? I am not, I'm not against that at all. I think that's the way to approach it. Look, we have the Bible. We know what we should expect. We know what we can do. So come up here in faith. Open your mouth. Make some noise. And trust God to turn it into a language. It's one of the simplest and purest acts of faith we can do. Is it great when God just simply blasts us and something just comes bubbling out of us? Yep. Do we have to have it that way? All right. I go back to my salvation experience. Now, when I read uh, a testimony, I hear some of your testimonies, much more amazing than mine. I read the testimony of Mac Gober, who had an open vision. This guy's out there living for the devil like few people have, and he has an open vision of Jesus Christ on the cross saying, I love you, Mac. What are you going to do? You're going to fall to your knees and get saved. That's not what happened to me. Some people talk about how they just felt this weight lifted off of them and their vision changed and everything. I didn't experience anything at age 12 except a sense of relief just to know that I was saved. Well, and then here's the big question for salvation and the Holy Spirit. How did you know you were saved then? If you didn't feel it, if you didn't see it, if there wasn't a voice that you heard, how do you know you got saved? Anybody know the answer to that question? Really? Nope, before that. Faith. What, what can I have faith? Where does faith begin? Where the will of God is known. Can I know what God's will is concerning my salvation? What does the Bible tell me? That if you, be- <laughs> wow, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If I believe that verse alone and I speak that, I confess him as my Lord, how do I know I'm saved? Because the Bible tells me so. For God so loved the world. So many verses that tell me what Jesus came for and that there is nothing. He's not going to withhold salvation from me. Right? Same with the Holy Spirit. How did I know I received the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus made it clear that he, that God, if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? He told us to receive the Holy Spirit. How did I know I got filled with this? Now, I've seen it. Now, listen, I've been in. Now, this goes back. I went all the way back to age 12 for my salvation. I was 14, 14, I think-ish, when I, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've told you that story. I had friends. We were going to a church, big church, and I lived for Wednesday night service when I would see my friends at youth group. And this was a spirit-filled church. This was a full gospel church, man. And uh, great, great kids in this, and a fantastic youth leader. And every, every Wednesday night, there'd be an altar call for salvation and an altar call for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And somehow, little by little, my friends found out that I was one of a handful of people in that whole room that had never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so every time it would come time to answer that altar call, they'd go, come on, Scott, come on, come on, I'll go up there with you. And God bless him for doing that. And shame on me for being an idiot because that was the only thing, the only reason I didn't go up there is because I didn't want to cave to peer pressure. 
I, could, I was this close, man. I've, I've told this. I've told this. I've talked about my son Riley, how he's, he's kind of like this, you know. Won't do anything unless it's his idea. Okay, but I have to admit, I was a little bit like that. It certainly was at that age. It's like, oh, I really want to get filled with the Spirit. And then somebody would say, come on, Scott. Well, I'm not going to do it because you want me to. So when I did it, I, I told this story very recently. But it was at a, uh, at a Rama meeting. And he invited, the speaker invited people down to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I almost went and chickened out, but then when he led them in a prayer to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I said it out loud. My sister was down in the crowd getting prayed for, but I said the prayer out loud, and then the speaker said, if you prayed that even from your chair, you received the Holy Spirit, and man, I knew I did. I knew it. And Scott Millis, the guy who's never fallen down, who has never laughed uncontrollably, my charismatic experience in terms of what I have felt, the things that have happened to me involuntarily, Next to nothing in my life. I've never been drunk in the Holy Ghost. I've never fallen out under the power. I've never laughed under, uh, uncontrollably. I've wept, so there's that. But I have not gone through my charismatic life going from one uh, punctuated supernatural experience to another. Hasn't been my experience. But you know what? That night, I went home and began to pray in tongues on purpose, and it was the easiest thing in the world because I knew God wanted it for me. I knew God wanted it for me, and I wanted it. And here's what Paul is saying. I wish you all spoke with tongues. Those of you who don't, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than you do because it's important. Why? Because it builds me up. Because my spirit prays when I pray in tongues. And if I'm edified, then I can pray even more powerfully and more perfectly when I pray with my understanding. Now we can go on, we can talk more and more about, well, what is, what is exactly happening when you pray in tongues? I wanted you to see, though, that when we talk about the evidence of speaking in tongues, it's a little bit, you see how it's a little bit circular? Uh, I, I, would you come up here and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Well, how will I know that I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because you'll speak in tongues. Okay, how do I know I can speak in tongues? Well, because the Bible says if you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you'll speak in tongues. So it's which came first, chicken or the egg? You know, I knew I could, I could speak in tongues. And some of you have even shared with me, I know I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I have struggled receiving my prayer language. But you know it's God's will for you. And I don't know. I'm not, I'll tell you what I think it is. The reason it was easy for me, and it's hard for some of you, is because I'm a spiritual giant compared to, no, see, <laughs> has absolutely nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. I don't know why some things are easier for some people and harder for others. I just know what the Word of God says. And in this case, I knew I, I could, and I did. It wasn't as big a hurdle for me. And probably because I had, a part of it was because I was surrounded by people who did this. It wasn't weird to me, for sure. And I don't think that's a problem with, with, with most of you either. Uh, but I urge you uh, to seek that out, to see it as something that God wants for you. And not just that. This is so important. We're a church that what? What's, what's, our, what's our little motto here? We live the gospel. We preach the gospel. 
We want to live in the fullness of the gospel. We want to preach the fullness of the gospel. And that means sharing the good news and living in the good news. We can't, and I think, I don't know anybody who actually says this, but I still think there was a little bit of the trappings of thinking this way that uh, we have to speak in tongues if we're going to be spirit-filled. It's because I'm spirit-filled, I can speak in tongues. All right? It's good news, according to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit has come. And to living in the fullness, living in the fullness of the gospel is to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But if we are going to preach, if we're going to live the gospel, we have to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to preach the gospel, we have to do it as Christ told us to. The people that he walked with, lived with, ministered with, invested himself into, ministered alongside, and even sent them out two by two while he was still with them. Those are the guys to whom he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Lay hands on the sick. They'll recover. Cast out demons. But not yet. Don't go anywhere. Don't leave here. Don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the power that will come when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, if Peter, James, John, and the rest of them weren't supposed to go out and do it without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what do you think you're doing? Do you honestly think you can live the gospel and preach the gospel without the Holy Spirit? It's amazing that we can do anything, and I do believe it's possible to be born again and not spirit-filled. And I believe, because I don't, think, I don't see things as black and white as I used to, I believe there are those who are born again and uh, experience a fullness of the Spirit that I didn't know, you know, at age 12 but who still struggle with tongues, doctrinally even, because they were raised. In fact, in fact, I mentioned this, this, this one individual in high school, loved the Lord, uh, loved his word, and there was a Baptist youth conference. I went to it as a guest, and the speaker invited a room full of Christian teenagers to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But no mention of tongues, because they didn't believe in it but they still recognize this is something else. And so there are people who, Lord, fill me with your spirit. And unless God does something in that moment that changes them, they might still not speak in tongues. They might not believe in it. I think they're missing out. I think they're in error. It's not going to cost them their salvation. But let's be led by what the word of God clearly teaches us. And if we can disagree on something like tongues, let's, can we disagree without condemning the other person to hell? We, I, we absolutely can there are a lot of details in the Bible that, man, if, if, if I can't imagine there's one person in this room that we would see eye to eye with on every single detail, that I would see eye to eye with on every single detail. But most of those details, our salvation doesn't hinge on those things. Even if they're big questions, 
I know there are people that I disagree with about the age of the earth, the age of the universe, and those are important questions, they're big questions, but they don't change the fact that we believe, all of us, I hope, believe that Jesus Christ, God the Son, took on flesh, walked this earth, and bore our sin on the cross, and that he's the only way to salvation, his shed blood, his death for my sin. He's the only way to Christ. He's the only way to God. The, the cross of Christ is the only way to God. That's the important thing. And God will straighten us out. Not that those other issues don't touch on those things. There, there's an interconnectedness there. But let's, let's focus, let, let's major on the majors. Start out with those things, right? And uh, meanwhile, oh, praise the worship team, you can be coming up here, sorry. And everybody else, go ahead and stand up while I wrap this up. It's been a little bit of a weird message. I know I tried to cram a lot of stuff in there, and I got off my notes, and so I was bouncing back and forth. But uh, this is the thing. We had a service. Mike, you remember this, I'm sure, because we went through uh, basic training around the same time. Uh, you went to basic before you joined RFC, right? And so I don't know what the formula was, and Jeff Canfield, you too would know this. Uh, and I don't know how long this formula was in place, and I don't know if the Marines did it or the Navy or anybody else, but here's what they would do when they were teaching a new topic. We went out, for instance, one of the most important parts of our training at basic training was a basic rifle marksmanship. But there was also the grenades course, uh, the, here's how to do the claymore mines. Whenever they would do it, they're going to teach you a new weapon system, a new tactic. That, here was the formula. Today, you will receive or observe a demonstration, an explanation, and a practical application. We're going to show you first. They still do that, Josh? They're go we're going to show it to you first. Then we're going to explain what you were just shown. And then you're going to get to do it. And it's a really good way of teaching because you get to watch all this stuff. You know, just uh, I'm, I'm going to aim this weapon. I'm going to pull this trigger. I'm going to do all this. Then they're going to show it to you on paper, teach it in words, and then let you do it. What we had, I think, two weeks ago, demonstration. The gifts of the Spirit, not that this never happens. We want to see this happen more and more and more. Gifts of the Spirit, word came forth. We need to have people come and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I remember thinking when somebody came up with that word, we're a charismatic church. 99% of the people probably don't need this. And what probably 80% of the church came forward, even if it was for a refilling. And there was a powerful, tangible presence here that day. And people were touched. People, I want to hear from you. We're going to hear a great healing testimony in a couple weeks. I've been putting it off for, I didn't mean to put it off. I put it off for one reason or another, then kind of forgot. And then I was looking, had some other uh, testimony opportunities come up. I'm re I was reminded, we really need to hear this healing testimony. But I want to hear from you. When God does something like that in your life, it benefits us and encourages us to hear what he's doing in your life. But anyway, we had this demonstration. Today was the explanation. That was really kind of my goal here today. What happened wasn't just, oh, we had a woo-woo service and everybody felt good. No, God deposited something in you. And if you heard, and if, you, if somebody says something to you while you're being prayed for, you were just urged, maybe you did some reading since you got prayed for, and like, hey, what's this speaking in tongues thing? I wanted to draw the line between those two things. Tongues, tongues isn't a bugaboo. It isn't something we should be, be afraid of. But it's also not a, what kind of Christian am I? By God, I'm a tongue-talking Christian. That's what kind of Christian I am. <laughs> Oh, you're not? You're one of those Christians? I'm a tongue-talking Christian. 
that is not. It has, and this is what Paul really, it's really kind of fun to read this in different translations because Paul just hammers this. You are not spiritually mature just because you speak in tongues. You can make a list of things that equal or, or uh, indicated, that indicate spiritual maturity, and the gifts are not on that list at all. The fruit of the Spirit's where it's at. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, speaking in tongues. Oh, no, I added that last one. <laughs> we can go on. We'll see where, uh, if we want to continue going down this road next week. There's some other directions I'm eager to get uh, going on, but I'm just going to let God be God. He's done a pretty good job so far of leading this congregation. What I want to do now before, I, before we leave is make those offers to you. Look, if you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord, that's the main thing. In my sermon, uh, was it just last week? I don't remember. What, what did I preach last week? Was it uh, the, uh, yeah, it was. I gave you my testimony, right, about how when I had my moment of doubt. Yeah, but there comes a time in every believer's life where they need to make God their God. And even if you've had that born-again experience, depending on when it was and under what circumstances and what you've been through since, you might have to come to this moment where it's a fresh decision. For people who have heard of God and were raised believing in God, but have never made a personal commitment to them, personally surrendered, that's really what that moment of being born again is. I know there is a God, and I know who the God is. I want to declare today that he is not just God. He is my God. He is not just the Savior. Jesus is not just the Savior of the world. He's my Savior. I need him to save me. If that's you today, I want to pray with you. And I want you to be bold enough to come up here and let me pray with you. I'll throw you a safety net right now. Because somebody did for me all those years ago. If you want to pray that prayer... I'll pray it out loud, and you can pray it from your seat. And if you mean it, you'll be saved. But I still want to hear about it. Likewise, if you say, Scott, I don't have any, I don't have any doubt. I'm not saying I've lived perfectly, but I know I got saved. I know I'm a born-again individual, but I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want that baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to do everything God's called me to do. And suddenly, after six months, after six years, after 60 years, God has made me realize I've been trying to do this in my own strength and I was never meant to do it in my own strength. I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want to pray for you too. And I want to lay my hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit. That's the simplest way to pray for somebody to receive the Holy Spirit. But guess what? You can be filled with the Holy Spirit out there in your seat. I did it. I wish I'd gone up front. But it doesn't matter. Where is God? God is everywhere. He can save you right there. He can fill you right there. But at some point, you're going to have to testify to what he's done. And the easiest way to do that is just come up front. And we'll all know when you got saved. We'll all know when you got helped with the Spirit. That's right. I was there the day you came forward. So I'm going to pray a prayer really quickly. And when I'm done praying, if you desire to be saved, born again, whatever, <laughs> whatever, <yeah. laughs> you desire to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, or you desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit, come up here when I'm done praying as we sing. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you again for the blood of Jesus, for making that way of salvation for us. And thank you for the Holy Spirit 
Thank you for your gift of Jesus to a lost and dying world. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to a world that's been saved and is coming alive. Thank you for the power that is ours because of the Holy Spirit. Father, it's our prayer, prayer of every spirit-filled, born-again believer in this room, that if there's anybody in here who has not experienced, not come to know you as a saving, loving Father through the blood of Jesus Christ, that they would come to know you today that they would surrender their lives to the one who loves them more than anyone. And if there's any believer in this room who has surrendered their life to you, who has acknowledged you as their Savior, but has never received that fullness of the Holy Spirit, spark in them a desire for everything that you have for them, a desire to be fully yielded to you and fully empowered by you. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless you as you come. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, Make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.